Hello, hello, this is Tracy Harrell, and welcome to Bigger Than Me. Each week, we focus on how to achieve your definition of success and happiness. On Bigger Than Me, we bring together a combination of ageless wisdom, the latest research, and engaging interviews with amazing people who are sharing their stories to help each of us achieve our full potential. Your journey to transformation begins right now. Let's do this. All right, all right, let's do this. I'm so excited. I'm Tracy Harrell, and I am so excited to be celebrating Father's Day with a group of individuals that are absolutely amazing. So I have Dr. Thelma Jackson. Hello, Dr. Thelma. Hello. And, and her husband of 54 years and my surrogate father, Nat Jackson. How are Hello. you? Hello. And we also have with us Aaron Jones, who's actually your neighbor. Right. Neighbor. <laughs> and what I love about this today, we're going to talk about Father's Day. We're going to talk about relationships because you've been married for 54 years. Aaron, how long have you been married? Almost 27 years and about four and a half weeks. We had to put that out there really quickly because Erin looks like she's 25. So when she says when she says she's been married for 27 years, you're like, really? Why? Who is this woman? Married for 27 years, just turned 49 last week. You look amazing. You, so the fact that she has that cool fro, the graffiti in the back, look at all hip. She's a wise woman of many years. So thank you. You have three kids that are how old? 22, 23, 24, 25. I love it. And Dr. Thelma and, and, and Nat, you guys have how many kids and how many grandkids? Three children and four grandchildren. I love it. 36, 36, 51, and 54. Wow. All right. So what we're going to talk about today, again, is about family. We're going to talk about raising children. And then you all also do work in the equity space. So first, I just want to talk to you as human beings, as people. Because really, this show, Bigger Than Me, was always about how do we use technology, community, and positive psychology to help good people do great things. And today, we're going to talk about raising a family and being in relationships. And also, this whole equity conversation that's out there, we'll get to that as well. So first. 54 years of marriage. I'm going to ask you, Dr. Delma, first. What words of wisdom can you share? I think you guys are the longest lasting marriage that I've had on the show. I think I met someone who had been married for 50 years, but 54 years. What words of wisdom would you share? First, you make us sound like fossils. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not. <laughs> Archaeologists dug up somewhere. <laughs> alive and well uh, uh words of wisdom i i would just say that it comes down to first of all respect for one another you gotta like one another and you've got to be willing to give each other their own individual space mm. and that formula has worked for us for 54 years wow uh, we've had okay. to have, we've had that tolerance one another. It has not been 54 easy years by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, you know, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. I love that. We're going we're to get a little bit deeper in that. Uh, Next, it's Father's Day. And I'm yeah. asking you about being married to this beautiful woman for 54 years. What are your secrets to success? I'm not sure I have any secrets, but uh, I have to give my mother and father uh, credit for emulating the importance of uh, relationships uh, and love in our family. Uh, we, we were not perfect, but I had a great, great example. And uh, I think my wife put it right on the money when she said respect. Uh, I think love and respect are uh, very, very important but also the ability to apologize. Mm. Uh, you can't be a dumb Trump in this kind of relationship. You we don't talk politics on this show, but thank you very much. You've got to be able to... <laughs> oh, okay. We well, don't talk politics on this show, but thank example. you very much. <laughs> 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 but, 
But but the concept of apologizing, let's go deeper on that. Men don't typically do that very often. Uh, tell us more about why that's important for a relationship. It's important because if you see yourself as a unit, two people working as one, you've got to keep in mind that you're, you're not in this to hurt the other person. Mm. And you've got to think as two in every decision you make. And you've got to think about your family. Okay, what am I going to do? What about my family? What about my wife? What about my children? So you got to put your wife first in, in, in everything you do. That's my, that's my belief. And that's been emulated to me. And that's what I try and do. Uh, I don't like the word try. That's what I do uh, every day of my life in decision making. Mm. You know, I love that. And I, and I want you to know what I heard you say were two, two, two really critical things. I heard you say that you emulated that. So you got to see it in your household and you were thanking your parents for giving you that example. The reason this show is so important to me and the reason I do it with such love and dedication is because I bring these amazing people on. We're creating a video archive of voices and faces that are able to share their lessons learned, right? It's launching, launching with books and we're, we're, we're highlighting this information because it's so important to set an example about what works. I call them success strategies. So thank you for saying emulating. So everything you guys say today, think about it. Some households, they've never seen that. So you get to be that, right? You get to help represent, right? The voices and the faces, you know, of what can be you know, maybe what should be, but really definitely what can be, right? So thank you. Thank you for saying that, emulating. And then I heard you say something about a unit. Dr. Thelma, tell me about this unit, this team, how important that is in a relationship. Well, I think uh, Nat and I complement each other very well. Uh, not compliment by virtue of flattery, but compliment <laughs> by where I'm strong, he's weak, where uh, he's strong, I'm weak. Together, we become a very, very strong unit. Uh, and our, our uh, linkage, of course, is values, our ethics, our morals, our basic beliefs. But we recognize individuality of mm. and tap into it for strength. Mm. And that's where the team part comes in. Any team wants to have different different areas of expertise and skill set. So that's important in a marriage as well. Mm. And so the complement part, meaning you accentuate one another, um, it causes us to pull together as opposed to pull apart. You know, in, in, the, in the physics laws, uh, you know, like things repel each other. Uh, you think in terms of a magnet and that kind of thing. So, it's, it's important to recognize the gifts, talents, strengths, and skill set of, of your partner so that you can tap in on each other's strength, and then the chain is that much stronger as a result. I love it. I love it. Now, before I go to Aaron, I'm going to ask you one more question. Another thing that you said, there was so much in, in, in what you said. You said, as a unit, you don't want to hurt that other person. You no. don't want to anything that is going to lessen their worth. That's right. So, I mean, right, right now we're, we're in the middle of a coronavirus and you got a lot of people that are probably on each other's last nerve, <laughs> right? Spending more time together than they had in a really, really long time. So what advice would you <laughs> tell people about, you know, when, you, when, when, when your partner is, you both had some good advice about this, but when your partner's you know, on your nerve a little bit and things are getting a little edgy. How do you prevent from hurting that person? Well, I think mindset to begin with is the most important thing. Mindset puts you in a position to deal with the situation. Like for instance, uh, what if you see this as an opportunity to get close, to be together, whereas you haven't had that. You've been running to your jobs and your other duties, uh, responsibilities every day. And now you have a chance to be together. So why not think in your headset, make this uh, the best we can? Because life has no promises. You have to make the best of it as you go. And the bottom line is, why would you be hostile? Why would you show anger? You have to tap, uh, tamper those things down and be your, you know, call in your better angels and say, hey, this may be the only opportunity I ever have to spend this time with my wife or when I should be at work. 
And if I'm lucky, they're paying me to be at home. But I'm a private, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a private business person, so we're not, yeah, we don't have that kind of luck. I, that's, uh, I that's, love that's that. That's my view of it. That's my view of it. If you bite your tongue, what do you do? You, if you're eating and you bite your tongue, you say, oh, why do you want to bite your tongue? Why do you do not want to bite your tongue? Number one, you're hurting yourself. And you have to add that kind of uh, perception and mentality to your partner. You don't want to hurt your partner because you're trying to live in unison. You're not trying to destroy a relationship. And so what you need to do is recognize your own flaws and get on top of those, master your flaws and get on top of those when you're trying to adapt to another human from another city, from another family, uh, all these differences. Uh, you want to adapt as best you can in a positive way. Why do you want to hurt her? It doesn't I make sense. It. You're I destroying the human. I love that. Dr. Delmar, I think I saw you about to say something. You, you had some great advice when I asked you the same question earlier. I wanted to add to that when you said, how have we kept from getting on each other's last nerve? Yes. Uh, the fact that Nat and I have a separate set of interests, activities, building, not building, but business kinds of undertaking. So while we've been in the house together, he's in his office, I'm in my office, we're in different parts of the house. And I can imagine people who don't have those things outside of, a, of an eight to five job that they truly must be on each other's nerves. But um, I've not been bothered by a quarantine. I'm in my flowers. I'm in my yard. I'm outside. I'm enjoying the day we have sunshine. Uh, I probably have cooked more in the last three months than I've uh, But, you know, trying to be careful and making sure we're not eating a lot of carry-out food and all this kind of thing. And it. um, it's, it's been interesting as I hear other people talk about how difficult it's been to be together. And we've not had that problem at all because we have separate lives in addition to having a together life. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really do love that. As you can see, I decided to, to, to showcase my beautiful garden today, my my green thumb, because you're right, it does bring me peace. My honey is my weeder. <laughs> he helps me to weed and cuts the grass, but he knows it brings me such joy. So I really do appreciate you 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 sharing how important it is to have your own interests. Uh, Miss Aaron Jones, your husband could not join us today, but he is amazing and he's a father. So tell us a little bit, a little bit about him, and then I actually have a Father's Day present for both your husband, for um, Mr. Jackson here, and then for all the fathers. So tell us about your husband and why is he so amazing? So, and and I would say, um, you know, Thelma has known me a long time, and and there was a time in even in our marriage where things were not lovely, and we're in kind of the best season of our marriage right now. Um, probably since I was 45. So the last five years have probably been the best season of our marriage. And, and I think one of the things I really appreciate about my husband, I learned this um, really when I ran for office, I learned this, he was my biggest champion. And even in the worst times of the campaign, when things weren't going well, or someone said something, like he was my biggest champion. And that's really how it's been the last five years is we each have our own lane that we run in. But he's my biggest cheerleader and my biggest champion. He's the same for our children, and that's what makes him so amazing. And um, he's a high school teacher, so he's not here with us today because grades are due tomorrow. So he's got to he's got to finish, you know. And he's a an English teacher, so if you're a good English teacher, you assign a lot of writing. So he's got a lot of writing to read today to get done with his grades. But he's just such a great role model for. Um, both the young men and the young women that he teaches and coaches. So he's also the head football coach at his high school. And um, he coaches with our oldest son. So our oldest son is part of his coaching staff. And to watch the two of them together is one of them must be, I will go to practice just to watch the two of them together because they are like best friends. And my husband treats our oldest son like an equal. And um, they are really, I would love to say that I was his best friend, but really my old, our oldest <laughs> best friend. That's but awesome. I, I'm not sad about that. I think it's a really beautiful thing, especially for a black man and a black young man to be a dad and a son to be that close. I think is a really beautiful thing that we don't see very mm -hmm. often. And so I think that by itself is an incredible gift to our community. It's a gift um, 
to our children's friends, to see that kind of relationship. So I think that's the thing I love most about him. I love it. So we will definitely love to have him on another time to hear his voice and talk more about that. Nat, um, Nathan, Nathan, Studio Nathan, we have a special gift today since it is Father's Day for all of the fathers out there. How cool was that? Thank you. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. That, that's so lovely. You, you really have, I feel like you adopted me. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, okay. I think this will be perfect for today. But all I'm the fathers, for all the fathers out there who are loving up on your families, did you hear some of the words they said? You're my hero. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for the love. I mean, I think, I think the idea of us being expressive and being able to say these things to each other is really important. I mean, you sound like you're a very verbal individual. Is that true? Do you do you express your love to your kids on a regular basis? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You, you know, the, the absolutely beautiful. They are they're loving. They are kind. They are brilliant. Uh, I have to tell them all that. You absolutely use the word beauty and pretty in it. You are I love that. You're a pretty girl. You're a beautiful girl. You're a great son. You're fantastic. You're a strong guy. You're really great. Mm -hmm. I love you very much. You know, you got to say that. My dad said that to me, although in those days, they didn't use love too much. Uh, but he did find a way, as tough as he was, to say, I love you. And uh, that was incredible. You know, I didn't hear it too much, but he said it, and we knew it. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. And you, you both have, for, for Delma and, and um, Nat, you have wonderful kids. I've had, I've had uh, Debrina Jackson Gandy on my show a few times. I'm actually in her Juicy Woman University right now. She's adopted yeah. me as well as a part of the family. She's amazing. She's written a book around called Love, uh, around love, the love lies, right? She's right. also written books right. about, about sacred care, taking care yes. of yourself. Obviously, you guys set a great example. Apples don't fall too far from the tree, right? Yes. She's also spiritually inclined <laughs> and talks about, you know, all those things. So as I think about you being wonderful in marriage, Erin shared some some lovely things about her her husband as well. Now let's transition a little bit around the, now you're married, you're a married couple, and you're raising children. What advice would you share, both of you? We'll start with, um, we'll start with you, Dr. Dr. Thelma. What advice would you share about raising children, raising amazing children, not just getting them through and barely getting them through high school and saying, praise the Lord, they made it. But like, how do you raise amazing children that are going to make a difference in the world? Uh, my children, a source of great pride uh, for me and for Nat as well. Um, raising children, one thing, raising black children is quite enough. Mm. That's and right. having grown up uh, in the Pacific Northwest in a small town, AC Washington, where they have always been a minority, we've had to be very particular about how we have raised our black children. <coughs> They were strong in their sense of self, their self-esteem, their sense of self-worth, but they understood their Black her heritage and their Black history and the uh, strength on, on which they emanate from. And so we've had to be different kinds of advocates for our children in those uh, uh, school systems, unequal school systems, in the community. Uh, there's some space between our second daughter, Erica, and, uh, and Nathaniel, our son, um, mm -hmm. 17 years difference. So he came along as a black male child in this same uh, town mm -hmm. and raised him differently than we raised the girls. And then the girls were raised differently than the average parent had to raise their children. Mm -hmm. But we always instilled in them that they were born, that they were gifted, they were talented that they came from a string of ancestors were right. great and that's what they had to carry on and so we packed them around at meetings and whatever they were babies in diapers so they've been exposed uh an kind of environment they've been exposed to an entrepreneurial kind of environment uh mm -hmm. as they would indicate an interest in something we did our level best to try to nurture and cultivate that interest. Now, it might change the next day or the next week, but for the moment, that's what they're interested in. Uh, it's the I arts. 
forth, but you know, and always insisting upon academic plus. Yeah. Knowing that uh, they didn't know and we didn't either what they'd ever grow up to be, but we wanted them to be as prepared as they possibly could for whatever that might be. Mm. So all of those things and all those investments of time and energy uh, yielded these three fabulous uh, folk. And out of the two daughters come four uh, fantastic grandchildren that Nat and I as grandparents have put our thumbprint on from the very beginning. All four of my granddaughters, I was present for their birth and I held them before their mothers held them. Now that's so, a grandmama right there. That, that's a, that's leaning in. And so. And I took the liberty of delivering Nathaniel myself. Wow. I delivered Nathaniel. I asked the doctor to stand back and let me deliver him. And I did, the doctor just stood guard. So go ahead. Well, wow. I was grandkids so we've invested heavily our grandkids as well so we're blessed to have three college graduates for our children um our four grandchildren have gone to college this year we're celebrating a uh, one with her master from georgia state graduated summa cum laude nice and the other one graduated with her bachelor's from pacific lutheran university so we're in the midst of planning their private family celebration of this academic success. And so we've always lifted up academic excellence and academic success. So we get to celebrate them, even though their exercises were cut short by the coronavirus. And I love that. I love it. They will have their commencement exercise next Saturday afternoon with Dr. Grandma officiating. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Dr. Grandma. Instead of a, a 10 seconds in the spotlight and walk across the stage, they're going to get much but, deep, um, deep love. I love that. They carry on. They carry on. And so uh, they range from 27 to 22. And we couldn't be uh, more proud of what we uh, have cultivated in them and feel uh, very comfortable that the future is in great hands with those four. They are socially active. They have keen justice instincts and minds. They've led all elementary school. And uh, it's just been interesting. So we've seen the three children and they've had some very interesting lives. And now the four grandchildren. And I love so if God bless long enough to see great grands i don't i don't think it's going to stop there at all I, what i love about what you're saying here i wrote down a couple of things i'm you know i'm multitasking always so this show i actually started the show when i was writing my first book i'm on my third book now and so as i hear these words of wisdom it's like mm, that's good i heard some key words that we use a lot i heard you say cultivate invested so this this sounds like you were very intentional raising your kids so 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 nat can you share with me, kind of adding on to what your wife just said, what advice would you give to people, whether it's raising kids or investing in their grandkids and cultivating, what advice would you share with someone who may be struggling with their children? Well, number one, I, I, I just want to really aim, um, say um, amen to what Thelma said. <laughs> I think it's important to the language you speak, never use a negative language in your household. We don't use the word can't. I can't do something. We don't use that. We do not uh, denigrate uh, African-Americans. We know, and I teach that my kids, their history beyond uh, these United States, where most of the time we've been here, we've been in the most brutal slavery in the history of the world. And so therefore, I teach them positive. You got to teach them where they can rise up and elevate themselves beyond that. And they need to know that they're second to no one. Uh, they are they're children of God. They are not second and second to anyone. And that's the way they need to think. And uh, I, I try and instill that in them. And of course, in my family, I grew up in the second uh, form of enslavement, the sharecropping system. My parents were sharecroppers in a, part, in a part of my life. And I was fortunate enough to gain some uh, incredible, unbendable steel in my spine from that family. And I knew what I had to do to change the, to work to change the country and to help us get beyond, uh, uh, you know, discrimination that we've been dealing with uh, since the miasmic experience of enslavement. 
And so I teach them about all of that so they know who they are. And, and when someone says, I teach them not to take an insult in class from anybody. So if your history is misrepresented, you need to be sure that if not that moment, you challenge it before you close that day. You raise a question. If you write a memo, write the teacher a letter, you need to do that because you cannot be denigrated by anyone. And, and secondly, don't make, don't make decisions when you're angry because the decision you make when you're angry, they're most regrettable. I learned that, of course, a long time ago. So uh, I would amen, say amen to everything Thelma talked about. And uh, we support each other 100%, period, always. I, lo I love that. Aaron Jones, you, you, you not only have you been married for an extended period of time, looking like you're 25, been married for 27 years. So we know you We know you have lessons learned. Your kids are 23, 24, and 25. So, you know, similar question, you know, you've been married to an amazing husband. Um, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually ask you two questions. What I heard you say when you were telling your story, you said you're in the, the, um, the best part of your relationship right now. So first I'm gonna ask you for advice. What advice would you share with someone to get from the worst, perhaps, to the best? Like, what advice would you share when it's not going well? Um, just that <laughs> I think anything good, you know, and I'm an, I'm an athlete, so part of the reason I look like I'm younger is because I, you know, I played basketball for 40 years and I still am a runner now, but so I'm an <laughs> athlete. Anything that is worth um, accomplishing takes work. And, and we had to make a decision to work hard at it, right? So when things weren't going well, we had to say, okay, are we willing to work at this? And we had to both agree, like we're willing to work at this and go to a counselor and get some advice from people that knew better and um, and to really work hard at it. And I, what's really ironic now is I do a lot of traveling around the country now for my work. And this last three months that we've been sheltered in place and in quarantine has been three of the best months we go for a walk at least one walk every single day so we often get two walks in together a day we go get coffee together every day like Thelma and Max we each have our own thing that is kind of our thing so like racial equity work is my thing I have my own online business that I do he's a football coach so we have our own independent thing but we love just hanging out together and so we we met um, when we were in college and we'd go for walks, you know, miles at a time. And we still do that now. He's 50, I'm 49. We still love doing that. And we kind of came back to that and, and have really found um, incredible joy in being around one another. So I think it's important that you have something that you do together, but also the thing that you enjoy, that's your own thing. Um, and I think Nat and, and Thelma have already shared that, but that's really been, for us, that's been the answer to, creating our best spaces. I cheer him on his football stuff. He cheers me on with my business stuff. And then we have our thing that we do together, which is walking. And you have to like being around each other. So if you don't like being around each other, I don't know that there's any hope. But, um, you know, of course, if you got together in the first place, hopefully there was something that you liked about one another. You know, we've learned to really find additional things that we like about each other. I love his sense of humor. Um, I'm silly in front of students. He's just silly all the time. So uh, I, I love his silly. Humor. I, I, I love that. Silly is good. Sense of humor is great. I, I love that. You smile so much. I mean, you guys are just happy people. That's what I, and again, I'm, I'm very much attracted to that positive energy. So thank you for being yeah. who you are. That's part of the reason I love just having, I mean, this is about positive psychology. So thank you for being who you are. Part two of that question, Aaron, was um, from a relationship perspective, you talked about, you know, doing work. You got you to gotta invest the work. You were also intentional in raising your kids. So tell me about what was, what was most important to you in raising your children. What was one of the biggest lessons learned, you know, that you learned at the end of that process that maybe you didn't know at the beginning? Well, so, so first of all, I would say, you know, I, um, I have two of the best parents in the world. My parents live about two minutes from Thelma and Nat, which is kind of funny. <laughs> and actually, I, my mom, my parents' anniversary was last week, and I texted my mom. I'm like, Mom, what year is it? Because I think I thought they were the same, and it's 54 years too. So my parents have been married the same length of time that Nat and Thelma, which I thought. I thought Wonderful. we had already done that. Um, That's awesome. My parents were a really great example of always believing in me. Like even when I messed up, they just continued to be my champion. And 
And so as parents, I think my husband and I have been really good at being our kids' biggest champions. Um, <laughs> I have, I have, we have two biological kids. So our boys are our biological kids and our youngest one is on the spectrum. So he's autistic, he's a high functioning autistic. Um, our old, and he's also gifted. And our oldest son has um, severe dysgraphia, which is the written form of dyslexia. His brain and his hand don't talk. And then he's severely ADD as well. And so when they were little, trying to help them navigate um, a school system that wasn't designed for them, both as black boys, but also as boys that had different learning differences, you know, our kids got to watch us be their champions in school spaces. And so what's funny about that is now both of them are involved in education. So our oldest one coaches high school football with my husband. He's also the head rugby coach for all of our county. Um, and he works with kids because he watched us work with kids. He watched us be a champion. Yeah. Our youngest son is in graduate school right now at USC, but he spent a lot of time, he spends a lot of time teaching younger people because he saw us teaching. We taught them. I had a school in our garage for a while when they were little. And then we adopted a little girl when she was nine. My husband's um, younger sister just did not make great choices. And she ended up overdosing when, when she was, when our daughter was nine years old and we adopted her and moved to Spokane to get her away, to give her a fresh start. And she was not an easy kid to raise at all. But even though she was not easy, we continued to be her champion. And what is so amazing about her is she now works in education too, which is crazy because she never wanted to be like me. She wanted to be, I'm not your daughter really. I'm not like you, I'm never gonna be like you. And now she works for an organization called Equity and Education Coalition. Like it doesn't get much more like me than um, Which is kind of funny. So I think number one, you just lead by example. Like we have to model <coughs> and they listen to us. So we have to lead by example, number one. That's the first thing. And then number two, we have to be their biggest champions. And um, you know, my kids spent most of their K-12 experience in the same community that Nat and Thelma live in. Um, my kids went to the same school their kids did. And there are not a ton of black people here, but they're, you know, they're more than Spokane. But we had to really be model in front of them what it means to be a black person and that you can be brilliant and black. You can be an athlete and a musician and smart. And those are the things that we just had to show them by example. I, I love that. I love that. So I see all the heads are nodding. Yes, yes, and yes. So thank, thank you for that. That's that's beautiful. Erin, you also have a program. I mean, you do a number of amazing things. How do people reach you? What's your website? I don't have a website. Um, I am just on social media. So I'm on Facebook, three different places, Erin Jones, LLC, Erin Jones, 2016. I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on, on Twitter, Erin uh, Jones in 2016. And then I'm on Instagram as well. And that's where people reach me. I am very okay. grasping terms of my business so i do not have a website i actually don't want one i feel like when i'm a person of faith and when i got into this god said i will make room for you and he has mm -hmm. so i do about 50 percent of my work is around racial equity for um businesses for schools for government and then 50 percent of my work is doing school assemblies across the country so i love that i love that and one of the things i know um you said to me when we reconnected recently and I was telling you, inviting you to, to join us on the show and telling you about some of the stuff we were doing with the National Black NBA Association. And I mentioned the show Bigger Than Me and you said, mm, you're not gonna believe this, but you have a program that you share with youth called Bigger Than Me. It's called, right? Dream, it's called Dreaming a Dream That's Bigger Than Me. Oh yeah. my goodness. Tell us about yeah. that. What, what lessons learned can you share with the, the listening audience? Sure. It's a it's a a talk that I do with young people all over the country. I actually do it with adults now too, but it started with young people. And it's really number one, the power of dreams and the power of having big dreams and getting those dreams out in front of yourself, talking about them, putting them out into the world. So that's number one. Number two, investing in yourself and then investing your best self in the world. So number one is dreaming big dreams. Number two is invest in becoming the best version of you and then give that version of you away. And then number three is about courageously loving people. So being willing to love across difference, being willing to love people who um, sometimes are unlovable 
And so I do a lot of work across political spectrums, across, um, I speak four languages, so I do a lot of work across language. I've lived in three countries. I've lived in um, five states now. So really helping people learn to love, not just tolerate, but love and appreciate people who are different from you. And those are the three lessons that I try to let motivate me in everything that I do. Um, but they're lessons that I share with young people as a way to dream dreams that are bigger than them. It's not about the house and the cars and the stuff. It's about how do you make your mark in the world and make this world better than it was when you got here. You know what? I think you, you and I... I gave you like a virtual hug when we reconnected because it was it was just so beautiful because that is the life that I'm living now. And you and I were on a very similar journey. I wrote down that you said, you know, the power of having bigger dreams. And so when I was transitioning from corporate America, even before I left corporate America, God was already giving me this message. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And I was like, okay, Lord, it's bigger than me. And then you said, invest in yourself and give that version of yourself away. That's what I've been doing for the last mm -hmm two years is basically writing and investing and, and creating a space where it really is about helping others to live their best life. And it, and it feels so amazing. So you think we, we had co-wrote or I'd been in your, your, your session, but it's just kind of what, you know, naturally when you're, when you're living on purpose, when you're following that divine, you know, divine guidance. It's so simple. Right, it is so simple. He tells you what to do. He makes it clear. And I know Thelma and and, and um, Nat, you you also are, are spiritually inclined individuals. We have 18 minutes left, so I'm going to do a little bit of a transition. Uh, first, I'm going to ask you really quickly to tell me um, how important your spirituality is in your life, and how important was that in raising your family? And even Aaron, you too, all of you guys, kind of lean in on this topic, and then we're going to go to an equity topic real quick. But but spirituality. Not trying to rush it, but the concept is we all love the Lord and we think He's important to all the great things that have happened in our life. Why is that important? How does that help you? Throughout the year, me? was that my shot? Throughout Whoever, the year, I just saw Miles moving. So go the ahead. In my family, let me go back uh, about a hundred or close to two hundred years, just quickly. Throughout the years, I was I was so-called freed in 1865 uh, by uh, the 13th Amendment. We had nothing. We didn't have homes, we didn't have shoes, we didn't have food, we didn't have land, and education was illegal. And I sit here as a person who has come from those kind of roots. At the same time, Lincoln freed us as enslaved people, or maybe we freed Lincoln because of our role in the, uh, in the Civil War. Uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, at the same time, the president in 1862, was donating land, giving land to any white person who, uh, European origin, who settled it on the West Coast, 160 acres, totally free of charge. I know quite a few people who still own that land, much of it. They've sold pieces of it in hard time, but their wealth is still very much invested in that land that Lincoln gave them. We got nothing. So what I had to rely on and what we had to rely on and my grandmother and my mother before her and mother before her, we had to rely on our belief and our faith in God, period. It had to be unshakable. And that's what got us here. That's what got me here. Uh, everything I've done, I owe it to God. And that's the bottom line. So faith is so very important in what we do. I've taught it to the kids. You got to have unshakable faith. And, 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 and it's unequivocally, uh, unequivocal that you have a strong faith in God. And so that's what got me here. I tell people right now, you walk into my backyard, you see a museum to my father who was a sharecropper. I have every tool he used as a sharecropper to feed his family. I have, uh, I have uh, the wires that he used to tie his equipment together because the store was uh, two, two and a half, uh, three miles away. He didn't have time to stop and do and take care of that. I have the collars to his mules and the harnesses to his mules in my shed out back. And I go out, when I have a hard day, I go out and sit on that cotton planting machine. And I learn that what I'm dealing with is nothing compared to what he had to deal with. So that I can that stand. So you got to have that faith in God. So it's a, it's a strong belief. And it has to be unshakable. It runs in our family. It's in our DNA. And amen to that. Amen to that. Dr. Thelma, I saw your mouth moving earlier, too. Would you like to lean in? Amen to your, what your husband just shared. Well, I would just quickly say that uh, 
spirituality is it plays a very large role in my life and i do believe truly believe that god has uh, ordered my footsteps because there's no way under the sun here where i am married to who i am outstanding group of kids and grandkids if it had not been for the lord leading me in this direction and as i've been active in the community and education I often say, why me, Lord? Why are you putting this burden on me? And this voice will say, why not, my daughter? <laughs> why not? So go forth and serve. Yes, sir. Get on up and go. Keep it moving. <laughs> led me, has led me to where I am. And I give I give God to God is the glory. I, I thank you. Thank you for saying that. When you say God no. orders our steps, that's one of my favorite songs. Miss Aaron exactly. Jones. I love that. Well, what are your thoughts about this concept of spirituality? Is that important to you and why? It's really, it's critical. So I, I was um, abandoned at birth and adopted by a white couple from Northern Minnesota. And they, um, they are religious people. They were raised um, Presbyterian, Lutheran, very mainline denominations. I attended church every week. We were raised in Europe and I attended church every week. But I didn't really find my own personal faith until I came to America as an 18-year-old and discovered racism for the first time and experienced the hate of skin color for the first time and, and almost committed suicide my freshman year of college. And I ended up um, right before my 19th birthday on a basketball court um, just about an hour south of my college. I literally walked. I, I was so depressed that I just started walking and I ended up on this basketball court with a guy named Dr. Julius Irving. And um, I don't believe in accidents anymore at all, but I ended up on this court with Dr. J at, at 18 years old. And he invited me to play basketball with him and his sons that day. And I, most depressed moment of my life. And after the game was over, I'm sitting on the sidelines with three young black men I went to college in an all-white town, and this was the first time I'd been around all these Black people, and I was so depressed, and I didn't feel like I belonged in this country. And these three young Black boys talked about having dropped out of school. And I knew already at 18, like, you can't get a job in America if you don't have a diploma. And I remember asking these boys, so what are you going to do with your future if you haven't even gotten a high school diploma? And each boy said, we don't expect to live to be 21. Why would we dream? And I remember in that moment, it was like I heard God's voice and I heard him say to me, not in an audible voice, but like in, in here, I heard him say, Aaron, I made you black and white for a reason. I made you in America, but I, I allowed you to be raised in another country where they believed in you for a reason. And I brought you to America for a reason. I made you a ball player and an academic, and I need you to use that to save children. And that was the moment that my faith became my own personal faith. And so I have spent really the last 30 years now, because I just turned 49. So it was almost exactly 30 years ago. Um, I made a decision. I'm going to serve God and, and use myself. I am a bridge. God, God made me as a bridge. He made me as a connector. And I've devoted really the last 30 years of my life to trying to serve him the best I can. Mm, girl. I'm trying to hold back the tears right now only because when I think about my personal journey, it just feels so connected to you. I mean, it just feels like so, like everything that happens, it happens for a reason. And if you know that, fortunately, he made it very clear to me that he was putting me through some experiences so that I could... That's right. Someone has nicknamed me Tracy Harriet Tubman Harrell. T-H-T-H, set my people free, right? So it's like, okay, I got you, right? I, I'm like the Colin... Kaepernick of the corporate world. It's like there are things happening that we need to talk about, right? There are things that are going on that I can actually make a difference in the lives of others. Think about our students. Yeah. I literally, when you mentioned you were almost going to commit suicide, that actually was probably one of the breaking points for me as I was sitting in my office and I had some interns in there. Literally, two of them mm -hmm. said the same thing that they were considering suicide based on their experiences in corporate America. And I didn't have an answer for that. It's just kind of how it goes. And I realized, you know what, we can do better. Like if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? And it kind of broke my heart. It's like, you know what, God, whatever you got for me, I'm in. Whatever you want me to do, I am in. Like whatever, whatever lives we can change, we're gonna do it. So we're doing this work. I'm gonna kind of transition to equity and inclusion now. You all three are involved in this project that we're uplifting right now. It's called the Bigger Than Me Success Series, focused on 
achieving equity and inclusion in corporate American businesses, but also in education and wealth and in health, because you all have a role in that. Dr. Delmo, you're going to be on a, on a panel, you know, helping us to think about equity and education. Jack, Nate, Nat, you're going to be part of a conversation with the work you did with I-1000. Aaron Jones, you do a lot of work around equity and inclusion as well. So we're going to, we bring all these experts together to have the conversation. But before we go into the, 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 the details of the conversation, which I'm going to bring you guys back, we're going to have you in a number of sessions. What I really want to talk about, because Aaron, you and I had a conversation when you were on the show once and it, recently, and it was about um, it, it was about like having the conversation, like in order to change the world, you want to help students. Now, you were telling me about um, a conversation that you had with a friend of yours around this experience. So we, in order to change the world, we got to first connect with people who aren't like us to share, to have these, you know, get people comfortable being uncomfortable around having conversations around diversity and inclusion and equity and racism and racial equity and all those things. We don't even want to talk about it. We know white people don't want to talk about it, right? We're only talking about it because we think we can make a difference. And so I'm going to go, we got, we got nine minutes left. So I'm going to give you three minutes each. Now, real quick, can you tell us that story? You were telling me that you had a, had a conversation with one of your friends who was different than you and you were trying to explain to him I was asking you, how do you have conversations with people on this topic? Can you tell me? Well, tell I, us that? I, have to, I have to let people know right now that I'm traumatized uh, after seeing the murder of George Floyd on television in handcuffs by the authority of a blue uniform, manipulating his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck as he begged for his life. I, I've had something always, uh, some advice to tell my sons my sons, most importantly, uh, my daughters, uh, far less uh, about dealing with police. Uh, but what can you tell anyone when a policeman is on your neck, on the neck of a person, on your, t on your TV, in your living room, and that person has given himself up in handcuffs, and he's showing the ultimate respect by calling that person, off person officer as he is mur being murdered. We've got some issues to deal with, and I can't talk to every white person. Uh, we need to understand that. Uh, I hear people opposing affirmative action in this state. What they don't know, and affirmative action and equal opportunity, what they don't know is that before uh, I-200, there was the, the uh, Office of Minority and Women Business Legislation. That lasted 15 years. But before that, the state of Washington, after 84 years of, of statesmanship, and, uh, and, and 39 years of uh, territorialship had never signed a contract with a black person until I made that possible. Then I saw that I had to go farther and change the law. And I led the effort for about 11 years to change the law so that particularly African-Americans, since they were at the bottom of the, barrel, of the barrel, were not getting contracts at all with the state of Washington. That's where we've come from. We've come from zero in the state of procure contracting and purchasing in, in, in the state of Washington. We went for 15 years with the fairness and affirmative action law that I led. Uh, I wasn't the only one, but I was a leader. And uh, then now to, we've so-called abandoned affirmative action. We've banned equal opportunity. And that's what we're dealing with at this point. And, uh, you know, my whole life has been one of a lesson. You know, I went to college homeless homeless, didn't have quite enough money to pay at the registrar's office. And of course, I didn't know if I'd left the school without being regist registered. We didn't have computers and so forth in those days. And, and, and there stood out of the thousands of schools and kids that were there, there's a class, a schoolmate of mine that was two years ahead of me. I turned to him and before I could finish the word alone me, uh, $3. I was $3 short. He extended $5 to me. And so I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't have any books. I didn't have any money when I went to college. That's what faith is about. And so I believe and still believe that I can change the world. From 12 years old when Emmett Till was murdered in Money, Mississippi, right through what I've done on helping to get the national hate crime law passed when I worked with the Byrd family, where Mr. James Bird Jr. was dragged, dragged to death in Jasper, Texas, and then right up through getting working to get I-1000, get it through the legislature, raise the millions of dollars we needed to get it to the legislature, get it certified, and then it lost only by 1%. 
but 20, 21 years ago, I-200 won by 58%. Last year, I-1000 so-called lost. I don't like to use the word lost because it really didn't lose by 1%. So we are 1% difference in this state from what's right and what's wrong. Well, and that well, I was mean, an off-year election. If we get that, if we had that same initiative in this presidential election, we would it's win. It's coming, win, right? Win oh, by on, it's, it's coming, right? Because 1776 is the new is the new I-1000. Yeah. So vote yes, we, yes, yes, it is. Handic and you can go online and get that and sign it. But we're handicapped by the pandemic because we can't go out and solicit in person so, the signatures so I, I, and so I, to vote. So I, I so. was actually on. I was actually on a call on Table One Hundred call with. Um, Jesse Weinberry, and he actually, it's actually electronic now. So if you go to right. Yes 1776, right. you can right. sign with DocuSign online. So it's actually a better situation now. More people can sign, and you can sign from your home. Yes 1776 right. is where yes. you go, and you can sign this bill for equity. It's around yeah. bringing back this concept of equal, a fair playing ground. So well, exciting. I okay, I just, I just, and, and I just kind of noticed that there's, sorry, that Jesse, there's two minutes that, left. Je okay, Jesse was with me, and I was a sponsor of that initiative. It's the most successful initiative in the history of the nation, yes. because headed by African Americans. And yes. so the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, I'm so, of the opinion, though, so, and I'm going to ask the governor to go ahead and move. The University of Davis, University of California, Davis, has reversed their affirmative action role. The Bakke so, decision. Uh, so, so, Nat, listen, so, I'm going to bring you guys back. We're going to yeah, talk about 1776 in a whole right. deep, long show. Okay. So I'm going to give, um, I know Aaron has to drop at four o'clock. So Aaron, any words you want to share real quick about how, uh, I think we may have 30 seconds. I don't know how much time we have, but, but uh, what can you share with us about transitioning, helping, having a conversation with non-Black individuals around the importance of equity and inclusion? What advice could you share with those struggling in this space? So I'll share really quickly. Number one, most non-black and brown people don't know their own story of race and they assume they don't have a story of race. Everyone has a story of race. If you've been raised in this country, everyone has a story of race. So you've got to unpack your story of race. Number two, you need to know who you're serving and you can't just know about them. You need to actually know them. And number three, there are systems of support that need to be created for communities that have been marginalized and minoritized and we've got to build up those systems and also disrupt systems that have been oppressing for so long. Mm, well, I love it. Dr. Thelma, you got the last few words as it relates to this concept of equity and inclusion. What words would you share? What advice would you share about how to have this conversation? 30 seconds. I really don't have much advice. I'm tired of talking to white folk about it. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> well, I ain't even mad at you know. You're like the third person who uh, who has been doing this work for 30 years, and they're like, you know what? I can't. I can't do this work. So, so I'm excited. Let me just say thank you to each and every one of you for being on the show. Sorry, Dr. Demo, what were you gonna say? I said try 50 years, not 30. 50 years. I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about about that. Places. So talk to you next time. <laughs> time to wrap up is what Nate, what the studio said. Wow, we're going to definitely have you guys back. We're going to continue this conversation. That's why your voice is so important for us to move it forward. So as we do this work, let me just say again, thank you to each of you. And for those of you who are watching, happy Father's Day. And remember, it's bigger than me, but together it's not bigger than us. <laughs>